Hey everyone, new listeners, old listeners, thanks so much for coming back. Coming back because we're back with season two of Hot Leaf Juice. I'm going to tell you how I spent my summer. I spent my summer writing a lot of non-tea related stuff and I was working at a much more fundamental daily level of improving my tea practice. I noticed that I was doing too many things while I was making tea to really, A, appreciate what I was drinking, and B, get better at something that I found valuable. That in an attempt to be listening to other podcasts, audiobooks, music, keeping track of some other conversation I was having, and drinking tea, and maybe having like a a long-term RPG on my 3DS or something like that, and checking my phone, there were too many things that were happening. So I had to just focus on tea and I think that that has if you haven't taken the opportunity to mentally make a commitment to just have tea on a regular basis and not allow yourself not allow your mind to be stretched so thin uh, it's it's a really great experience and I would recommend that everybody uh, give that give that a shot uh, give that a try uh, and that brings me to the introduction of our new uh, guest this so I spoke with Sohan Fan. Of uh, the West China Tea Company, and the one of the many people behind the Guanyin Tea House in Austin, Texas. Sohan is uh, relatively well known, so he has been recently featured uh, on a tea YouTube channel, which there's a lot of new ones and a lot of new content popping up in 2017 compared to 2016. I don't know if I'm the, if I'm not the only one who's noticing this, but I, I think the tea videos we're getting better ones and we're getting more of them, which is great. Uh, and I was really excited when I saw Tea House Ghost. Tea House Ghost features Sohan teaching you the basics of Gong Fu Cha. Now, there's a lot of demonstration videos for Gong Fu Cha on YouTube, and they're great. Some of them are better than others, but most of them are demonstrations, and there's occasionally a couple that will like, really talk about it. What I like about this new series is not only is it coming from somebody who I have a lot of personal respect for in the, in the in the world of tea, but also that he's not just demonstrating it, he's breaking it down into this whole style of brewing and recontextualizing it into easier-to-understand chunks by explaining it in a more direct English without obscuring or mystifying it to make it seem more arcane than it actually is. He's doing a very good job of bringing not just the ability to make Gong Fu style tea, but the principles that underlie Gong Fu style brewing into, I think, a greater section of the collective Western tea zeitgeist with these videos. And I'll have a link to that channel in the show notes so you can find out. But it's Tea House Ghost on YouTube. Man, me and Sohan just had a great, great interview. It felt really awesome to be back in the saddle interviewing uh, a new person who has their own unique personal tea story and connection to the community and to bring that to the rest of you. And I feel really, really privileged to have the opportunity to be able to do that. So thanks again to our listeners. And a big shout out. Thank you to Equity Slate for the great intro song. Uh, I really appreciate uh, that you were willing to uh, allow us to use your music. I think it's a great track. So to show our appreciation, we'll always link to his Bandcamp in the show notes. So check him out. With all that out of the way, let's get on to this awesome new interview with Sohan Van. With your new YouTube channel, I know you uploaded a video, the fourth video yesterday in your Gong Fu Tea Cha. Is, am I, is that supposed to be a pun on teacher? Are you a Gong Fu Tea Cha? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it needs to be interpreted too rigorously. Uh, I think we're, Eric is somewhat younger than I am, and I, he has this millennial sensibility that I realize I, I'm not ever going to exactly exactly understand. But I just trust him on things like this. Um, there's there's a kind of suchness to the naming of of web stuff. Uh, that you don't name it exactly what you think makes sense and it doesn't have to be a direct pun. You just want to kind of have this weird cloud of associations along with it. I mean, Instagram is a play on words from instant and telegram, which is like a 19th century technology, but gram is in a telegram, ma'am, you see in like old movies, but it exists in the collective unconscious, uh, you know, of, all, of everybody that this is this means message and instant means fast. Right, and there you right. go. There, there, there's your, there's your brilliant marketing right there. 
Right, right. But like Vine, like why was Vine called Vine? You know, there, or Hulu. Hulu is a Chinese word. Why is it called that? You know? What's it mean in What's it mean in Chinese? Hulu. Hulu. Gourd. Which one? Gourd. Gourd. Uh, double gourd, you know, like those uh, those double gourds that they they make, uh, you know, tea wear sometimes. Actually, water droppers for calligraphers, you'll see yeah. them in, in uh, um, the the scholars' tools. They'll have the water droppers. They can drip one drop of water at a time onto a, a, a stone and grind ink. Um, they'll make those in these shapes of these double gourds. But more commonly, you'll see like uh, if you see like um, Lao Tzu, the author of the Tao Te Ching, you'll see him. Uh, rendered with one of these double gourds a lot of the time, or any kind of magical figure, any kind of sorcerer magical figure in China will have these double gourds. It's um, like a pear, exaggerated pear hourglass-shaped gourd. You know, I've seen this depicted in art before, in Asian art before. I had no idea what it was. That's a gourd for, for, for ink. Well, it's not, they, they make ink droppers in that shape. It's a celebrated shape in China. Okay. Uh, and so you'll see it a lot in one of the material, um, you know, uh, uh, crafts that you see it in is these water drippers, but actually tons of things. That's just an example that came to mind. Mm. That's really hula. cool. Yeah, that's a hula. So Han, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program today. You, so you're the owner of the West China Tea Company and the Guanyin Tea House, which is in Correct. Austin. You're, you're I'm one of the owners of Guanyin Tea House. One of the owners. A, yeah, one of the owners. But uh, before Guanyin existed, there was the tea spot, um, and that was a 200 square foot room, tiny little. Tiny, tiny little. We, by the end, we, we said it was cuddling room only because it was just you, you, you couldn't get your own seat. People were uh, crowded on top of each other. So it was, it was cute. That was just me. That was just West China Tea Company. That was basically the West China Tea Company tea house. Guan Yin is, uh, we got other stuff. We got kombucha and we have Yunnan sourcing tea as well. And we have um, classes and all kinds of stuff that we do that doesn't, that we didn't used to do at the old place because we didn't have the room. Well, that's great that you're able to to update. So, as a partial owner, as a person who sort of is a is is in a you know a leadership position generally with tea, without sort of relying on those terms, like what what do you, how do you define and describe what you do with tea? Are you a tea teacher? Are you a tea ambassador? Like, how would you describe what you your personal mission with tea beyond just your business? Yeah. So, what I see, I see what I do is more of this organic progression uh, of my fascination with tea and my relationship with people who grow and process tea and tea culture in China and then the growing tea culture in America, especially here in Texas. So I think a special part of my mission is that I'm here in Texas and there wasn't a lot of tea stuff going on um, when I moved here. And when I initially started, people didn't really know what, what Gong Fu Cha was. They didn't know much about Chinese tea. And so part of my mission is just, it's really, I, I never uh, conceived of it as a mission initially. It's just, I like to drink tea. I like to drink tea with people. And so I end up drinking tea with people and more and more, they, you know, they bring their friends. You know, I first started doing this uh, in, in Austin was in 2007. I, I had been into tea for many years. And in 2007, I moved to Austin. I got into it in California. And so I was used to uh, having tea and drinking tea there in like the Santa Cruz tea scene of the the early 2000s was it was Chaikana David Wright of Chaikana in Santa Cruz April Shun uh, Wayne from Rivendell that's that's these are the people that introduced me to um, tea culture and then the people around them Ron John and um, uh, MJ and um, Barry all these people who who now are all over the place uh, and still doing tea stuff all of them but um, Back then, we you know we didn't have the Hidden Peak Tea House in Santa Cruz yet. It was still just the tea shop, and so we would make tea. Me and my friends would have tea. Me and my girlfriend would have tea, uh, and I would just, we would start hosting tea parties. People would have tea when they come to our house, and uh, and then I was doing preschool classes there just because I liked it, uh, and that just consisted of me going outside and making tea on a Sunday, and people would come. It was mostly homeless people because that's who was around. Um, yeah. But people, um, we did it in the front yard of this church around this flagstone labyrinth and this, under this pepper tree. What was I was told was a pepper tree that grows peppercorns. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but it grew some things that looked like peppercorns. Anyway, it was it was cute, um, and it was free, and it was just me serving tea to random people, and some people would come every week, and and then I did that. You know, that was just my social life. I've never been a big alcohol drinker, so in college, that was a lot of my socializing was centered around drinking tea. And, and, you know, in lieu, at least some of the time of drinking alcohol. 
and then when I was in when I moved to Austin in 2007 I would just I went you know I continued serving tea to my friends a lot of these were my Texas friends who I knew my sisters lived here uh, some of my other friends that I knew from my up my upbringing in Houston were in Austin and so they'd already had tea with me because they knew me throughout my college career and, and it, I, they'd been drinking tea with me throughout that then um and so I came back and I had this a few people, like a small group of people in Austin who would drink tea with me. And, and just that, that, that just, that amount of people grows naturally. You meet people, you meet new people, it's your interest, it's what you do. So you, you know, you serve tea to people, they get into it and want to know more about it. But that's where it kind of stopped, you know, in, in, in Austin because we, in 2007, when I moved here first, there, I didn't know of any real tea houses. And then I, found out about Jade Leaves Tea House, which is now closed, but Jade Leaves Tea House had a pretty decent Chinese tea selection. It was uh, an acupuncturist, a couple of acupuncturists uh, who had an acupuncture in a Chinese medicine studio opened a tea house adjacent. And and so I, I found out about them. They had some decent tea, and then I ended up working there from 2000, for the most of 2009, uh, all of 2009, I think, I worked at Jade Leaves Tea House. And so um, that was kind of uh, what what there was in Austin when I was here from 2007 to 2009, and then in 2010 I moved to China in the beginning of 2010, and I kind of left this kind of budding tea community. I started doing free tea tastings on Sundays like I'd done before. Actually, we still do free tea tastings on Sundays throughout my entire uh, association with tea, even before it was a professional association. That's just like the day that I serve tea to people for free. Like whoever, uh, I realized just having this conversation with you right now, I realized that we still do that on Sundays. But, but yeah, uh, Jay Leaves, we did uh, Sunday tea, free tea on Sunday, uh, and then we started doing classes. And I had a class for every color of tea, every category, and and um, and showing people how to. Where use were you serving on. these classes? Where where was this class? This at? was at this was at Jade Leaves Tea House, which was on Guadalupe, uh, which I know it's supposed to be pronounced Guadalupe, but here in Austin it's pronounced Guadalupe. It's one of the main streets down by the University of Texas. And uh, this tea house is no longer there, it's defunct, but this was the one I was talking about. It was opened by a couple of acupuncturists. Right. Um, wow. Um, but yeah, that's that's not there anymore. But I worked there for a year before I moved to China. And so I cultivated you know, a group of, of people who would come to these tea tastings that we'd have there and they would come to events we'd have and they'd come and buy tea and they'd buy teaware and they would take these classes. Um, was it all word of mouth? What, did you do any, I mean, it, it, there wasn't a, this nearly the sophistication we have in pr- promoting small enterprises now, but was it basically we, your friends and friends of friends? No, a lot of it was customers. A lot of more random customers who walked in on us doing it and hmm. were like, what's this? Um, and also, we, we, you know, that, my job there, my role was the, was tea sommelier. That was my official title. And so, my job, if someone came in and they wanted tea served kung fu style, I would set them up to do it, right? And so, um, people would come in and they experienced that, and they wanted to do classes. And so, it was word of mouth as far as the business was concerned. As far as I was concerned, these people were either uh, clients of the acupuncture studio or or diners at the tea house because it was also a restaurant. Um, or just people came in to get tea or whatever. And we had Facebook, we had a Facebook page, Tea Time at Jade Leaves. It still works and I keep telling people there is no Jade Leaves, go like the Guanyin Tea House page, come to Guanyin Tea House. But like every like every now and then be like, you got five new likes on Tea Time at Jade Leaves. I'm like, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm getting new likes on that. It's been defunct for like seven years. Um, bots. I guess I should the, say the, that. There could be bots, <laughs> possibly. Yeah, maybe they're bots, yeah. But, um, so that all ended when I moved to China, and actually Eric Dumig, who is our mutual acquaintance, and who or who you reached out to, is that who? Is that how you? Did you know Eric already, or did you? Just I did not know Eric, uh, but Eric 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 uh, blind emailed me. Actually, I had never heard of him oh, before. Cool. I had known of you, but I, I I didn't realize he represented you. Uh, oh. So when I, when I found that out, I was like, well, bring him on. I I I, I like West China. Uh, cool. Company, so. Awesome. That's that's awesome. That's uh, so I know him because he's him and his twin brother Joseph uh, were get clients at the acupuncture studio back in 2009, and they wandered through one of my tea tastings once in order to get to the acupuncture studio. And they're like, "What's this?" And they sat and had tea. And they continued doing it. They went off to college. They were they were visiting home from their freshman year of college. They went to every class I taught. They bought tea sets and they bought a 
bunch of tea. They bought a ton of tea and took it to college with them. And then when I came back after living in China for three years, they were still living in Austin and still doing it, still doing tea. And they'd been serving their friends tea this whole time. And they'd been like drinking the tea slowly that they'd had this whole time. And then also buying tea from like Chinese grocery stores, uh, you know, the whole time I was in China after the was closed. And so that was interesting. And their, their, their mom and their sister and like their friends knew all these Chinese words. They knew Da Hong Pao and they knew Tia Guan Yin. And I was like, wow, what is going on? And so I came back to China in 2013, end of 2012, beginning of 2013. Uh, came back from China, moved to, uh, back to Austin. And again, I, my goal was never to actually start a company. It was not part of my plan. I was doing medical research at the time, working for a company called MetaMed, which is, uh, uh, was a personalized medical um, consulting situation. And uh, so I, I was doing that job and I would, I ended up drinking a bunch of tea, uh, bringing a bunch of tea back. Oh, so I met these tea farmers while I was in China, a lot of right. them. Um, and these uh, were Sichuan, Sichuanese tea farmers, so you're in Sichuan, Chengdu, and you Yunnan, met... Yunnan, Guangxi. Okay. Yeah, Sichuan, Yunnan, and Guangxi. Yeah, the Sichuanese ones I met through friends and co-workers, etc. Um, and then the Yunnan tea farmers, I specifically went to Yunnan to find old tea trees, because I wanted to see them, you know, mm. these mythical ancient tea trees that are the ancestors of the, the modern tea plant. And so... And then Guangxi, I, I got stranded in Yangshuo my first month in China for a month because I forgot to tell my bank I was going to China, and they froze my bank account. Ooh, yeah. And, uh, I got stuck there. Luckily, I happened to be already volunteering for uh, an English school called Zhuoyue uh, English School in Yangshuo, and they and ended up hiring me as an English teacher, so I was able to survive without money for a month. Because um, they housed and fed me and and paid me money, so um, I spent a lot of time in Yangshuo. Made a lot of great connections in Yangshuo, including a, a dude uh, there who has a tea farm and also collects old, ancient, uh, you know, very old uh, Heicha, Guangxi Heicha, uh, mm-hmm. Guyucha. Um, yeah, so that was my connection with Yangshuo. So really, it's Guangxi. Um, Sichuan and Yunnan. That's why it's called West China Tea Company. Right. Also, I didn't mean to start a tea company. That was totally... So I, I, I brought all this tea back with me. I already had these, this built-in community of tea friends in Austin. Not a ton of people, but the people who remembered me from before I left. And um, so I, uh, I would, you know, drink tea with them, those guys, and we, and I, with Steve and Scott and all my other friends from before, and, and we drank it all. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go... Because the, the tea, my first impression, coming to Chengdu, I remember coming to my office and I was doing limnological research, I was doing environmental research in Chengdu, that's what I did that for three years, and my office, the, the tea they had there was what's called Su Maofang, uh, which is Omei Mountain, Su Maofang is a, just a regular old vernacular, I call it a vernacular Western Chinese tea. It's uh-huh. not fine it's not all buds it's not very well shaped it's kind of very casually um shaching it's been fired very casually there's not a very orthodox shape to it it's not all the finest leaves this is a grandpa's tea <laughs> it's grandpa's tea yeah it's yeah. grandpa's tea um grandpa's teas and uh the the but that's what you know so Chengdu is close to Mei mountain it's one of the five sacred buddhist mountains that's where we get juyeqing juyeqing is People translate it all kinds of funny ways, but it means bamboo leaf green, and it's one of the the famous Chinese green teas, and it's from Ume Mountain in Sichuan, and that's all buds, and they're flat, and it's good. I find it to be a bit bland, and but it's very expensive because it's all buds, and they're flat. They've got this nice orthodox shape, and it's all buds, and so the... Um, you know, when you, a guest comes to visit you in Chengdu, you can serve them juyeqing, because it's the expensive one. But what the people who live there drink is su maofeng, or just, just maofeng, they just call it maofeng cha. And uh, it's just this really robust, grassy, full-bodied, sweet green tea. You can put pretty hot water on it. It doesn't get bitter very easily. 
and they drink it out of glasses and out of gaiwans in, in the city of Chengdu and the tea houses and in people's homes. And you look at a menu at a tea house, number one on the menu is Jia Qing, and it's expensive. It's like 30 kwai for a glass of tea. And then under it, for like five kwai, is suma fang. And that's what the people who are local to their uh, drink. And that's what was in my office. You go to the break room. I went to the break room in my office, and you know they don't have coffee, they have tea. And they had this jar of tea, and it was this tea. And I love green tea. I love green tea. It's like, especially before I went to China, before I really diversified my tea interests. I mean, I like Puar a lot. I like oolongs. I like green tea. I didn't really like white tea before. I didn't like black tea before. I didn't like, um, uh, I didn't like Shung Puar before. So before I went to China, my tea tastes were much more narrow, and green tea was always my favorite. And I drank all the green tea that I could drink in America, including at working at a tea house. We had like, you know, maybe a dozen different green teas. And so... Uh, I drank all this green tea when I was in America. I drank all the green tea I could find, Chinese green tea I could find. And and this Su Mao Feng that was just in a jar in my break room at my office was better than any green tea I'd ever had living in America. And so when I got back to America and I, I needed more tea, I ran out of tea, I was like, I'm not going to go to the tea store and or go online and buy some expensive already imported tea. I'm just going to get it from these guys that I know in China. I know tea farmers in China. I'm just get it from them. And my friends who had been drinking tea with me were like, oh, let me give you some money. I want some also. And, and it wasn't even like I was selling it to them at that point. I was just like, okay, sure. Just give me some money and you can, I'll just add it to my order. And then it got sent back because you can't send tea from China to America like it ain't no thing. You got you to gotta import it, which means that you got to give prior notice to the FDA and you have to have an FDA registered food handling facility, China side and America side. You have to have all that. And, um. Yeah, so uh, there's that. So T found you. So you, you, it found you, right? Like you, you ended up, whether you wanted to or not, having to import tea. I had to figure. Well, yeah, I had to figure it out in order to get this box that got shipped back to China. They sent it all the way back to China, Aww. right? Because because uh, customs, I couldn't clear customs because I was just a dude sending some tea. So I and it wasn't just my tea anymore. If it was just my tea, I could have been like, well, dang, that sucks. Um, but. It wasn't just my tea, it was me and my friend's tea, and so I had to get it back, and it took me like eight months to figure out how to import tea. It is not simple. Also, the FDA website is has not been updated since like the like 1890s, and it's incredibly difficult to navigate, and there are companies that will, will charge you $70 to do something that you can do for free on the FDA website just to save you the hassle of figuring out how to do it. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's But you, you did it. You saved your 70 bucks. I did it. Yeah, I did it. I didn't pay no one to do it. Like, I did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's 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 a uh, it, it's an ever increasingly Byzantine process, uh, importing tea. But yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of found me. I I didn't really have much of an option. And then and then I was still had my medical research job, but I also had all this tea. So I would do my day job of doing doing medical research, and then I would had this room that I rented in my friend Emily's house, Emily uh, Clementine of Clementine and Company Jewelry, she's a jeweler, and she has her studio, she had her studio in her house, and I rented a room in her house, and I would have stored my tea there, and I'd hold my tea tastings there. Yeah, it was it was great, and we just, it would just be free, every Tuesday and Friday I would serve tea for free in the afternoon, I called it office hours, and again, the same idea is you have, you know, a, a small community of people develops of people who uh, like tea and then it just grows. It just grows naturally because it's the natural tendency of people to want to share things they enjoy with their friends. And yeah, that was something people enjoyed. And so that grew and grew. And then me and Emily both ended up leasing a space along with a bunch of other local Austin entrepreneurs, uh, including um, uh, Wonder Pills Kombucha. That's a local kombucha company and Chris Long Ceramics and a bunch of other great uh, local Austin companies. And that, we, you know, we do stuff there. That was our first official brick and mortar space, but it was a shared space. And then in 2015, January of 2015, we moved into the T-Spot, which was our first, like, this is our space. This is all this is for. And uh, yeah, and it just ended up being this kind of snowballing thing. And then, and oh, also, um, in 2014, the 2013, 2014, yeah, 2014, like halfway through 2014, the, the, the medical consulting company I worked for folded. And so now I'm, uh, I'm like without a day job. And so I'm like, well, I've always got this tea company that I started to fall back on. Cause that's, I started the company because you can't, 
you can't import as an individual. You have to import as a, a, you have to at least have a DBA yeah. to do it. Um, so I filed West China Tea Company, and just the idea was, I lived in Western China. All my tea at that time was from Western China, because I didn't, I'd never been to Eastern China really, and so I, uh, yeah, I just called it that, and not thinking that I was going to actually be doing this as a business per se, more being like, well, I need to get this box of tea over, and I need a, a business name to do it. So you could have fooled me because it's a great name for a tea company. It's it's so simple, right? It and it and it, it just it, it rolls off the tongue. It's easy to remember. It's distinct. It tells you what you want and what you people will infer is that like this is a tea company that specializes in a Chinese tea and b Chinese tea that's from Western provinces. Right, which we no longer. I mean, we still are definitely. We import as much tea from Nanwu Mountain in Yunnan as like all the rest of the tea combined probably because those are my, some of my first farmers. We And we do have a lot of Western Chinese teas that other people uh, are, you get looked, overlooked a lot because they're obscure. Um, and the you know, Western China is, it's the Wild West. It's not nearly as populated as East of China. And the, there's a lot of great tea there just hiding out. And it's, it's in, it can be in really remote places and it can be really obscure and produced on a really small scale. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that now we definitely, we definitely, I'd say we have more more sources in eastern China, south, southeastern and eastern China, as far as sheer number of sources go. But the quantity of tea and the diversity of tea that we get from western China is still distinctive. Tell me about the tea house ghost, uh, the 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 Chaguan ghost. Uh, I forgot the word for ghost. Chaguan that way, yeah, yeah, that that's fairly new, right? And uh, you have this now four videos where you are explaining. The very basics of mm-hmm. Gongfu Cha, which are the most important things. How did you get that ball rolling? Because there's a lot of videos prior to what you have on YouTube that explain Gongfu Cha. Many of them are just demonstrations. Uh, only a handful really sort of try to teach you how to do it. And I was very impressed immediately when I saw it because I thought this is what we need is somebody who has a purposefully putting forward Gongfu Cha lessons in really plain really simple focused english so how, how did that how did that come up, come about and, and how has that been going so far uh, it's been going great eric and jacob are consummate professionals they're actual actual film industry professionals uh so we're super super fortunate to have them i mean eric's the one who really spearheaded the project uh i've been wanting to do this for years you know for years and years and years and I've made a couple of videos. If you go on the West China Tea Company uh, YouTube itself, I have videos that I made in China when I was uh, traveling through China with some friends that we produced in a in like a monastery, like in the park of a monastery there, that are kind of instructional to specific types of tea. And so I've done videos before, but uh, you know, I'm not especially good at making videos per se, and they just ended up looking really uh, amateurish. And so. I've been teaching people tea stuff for years, and so I have a pretty solid curriculum or, or you know, way that I found is a simple way to explain things to people so that it, it makes sense. Because otherwise it can seem very arcane if you just look at someone doing Gong Fu Tao or Chai uh, without any kind of context or knowing why we're doing the things we're doing, then it just looks like a bunch of stuff and it seems kind of ritualistic, which, you know, of course there's a ritual aspect to it, but... Really, it's a way of making tea, and the purpose is to, to be able to enjoy making tea and drinking tea. And uh, I think that that's what what people really, uh, if, you know, it's a good starting place. It's a good starting point. Whatever it is, tea and tea culture end up becoming to you, no matter how uh, profound or superficial your interaction with tea is. Just knowing how to hold things, how to use things, why we use them, what purpose they serve is a great place to start as over the years that you've been teaching people tea what have you been uh putting forward as uh, the the main focus of your teaching what is the relationship that you have between sort of the innovation and tradition and some people's expectations of a perceived arcane foreign ceremony versus what you and i know is might as well be as arcane as french cooking it's just a way of doing things how have you, over the years, bridged that gap and, and 
that finally ended up in the videos you're putting out this this year? What's the what's the thought process in in teaching Tia in, in your role as a teacher? Definitely being. I definitely enjoy doing it. I still enjoy teaching people about tea. When I, I mean, I teach tea classes here at Guanyin Tea House, and I still enjoy it. I love watching people get excited about it. I love watching people feel proud to be doing it, this thing that they've enjoyed so many times with other people, and and had so much joy receiving from other people to be able to do that thing and and serve people tea, to take so much pleasure in serving tea and being able to do it, it brings me joy. So that's the first thing. I think that everyone has to be enjoying themselves while you're doing it. Um, secondly, there is no right way to do Gong Fu Cha. There's lots of wrong ways for sure, but there's there's not one right way and there's no tea pope. I'm fond of saying <laughs> I want some very artistically talented person to render a tea pope for me. But that's the thing is that there's Chinese culture is so broad and nebulous and diffuse and diverse you can ask uh, a question about Chinese culture. You ask 10 Chinese people the same question and get 10 answers and they're all right, even though they're different from each other and they might contradict each other, they're still all right because that's just how stuff works in China, especially with tea culture, especially, especially with tea culture um, because it's, you know, it's done so many different ways. And like Yunnan, people do Gong Fu Cha, people do Cha Yi, and this is another thing. People are like, oh, it's only Gong Fu Cha if it's the Chao Zhou Gong Fu Cha. Okay, well, that's fine, but they still do call it Gong Fu Cha in lots of places when they're using a Gong Da Bei and they're not, they're not doing Chao Zhou Gong Fu Cha. They're, they're doing some kind of modern Taiwanese-influenced hybrid Gong Fu Cha. And they'll still call it that. It'll be on the window of their store. So are you saying the Chinese people are wrong using their own language? I don't know. It's like, okay, you can argue about it and sure you're right that's not actually Gong Fu Cha if you go to Chao Zhou and talk about Gong Fu Cha they'll say oh it's not Gong Fu Cha if you use the Gong Da Bei you have to pour directly into the cups you have to use a round chop on you have to use a teapot tell that and to then, any western tea enthusiast right like Gong Da Bei right. are very popular over here right. and basically synonymous with Gong Fu Cha Right, but that's a new thing. That's uh, the Taiwanese introduced that, and and some Orthodox people are are against it. Thing is, there is no true tea orthodoxy. There's no, and there are tea colleges, and there are some regulatory bodies that are propped up. But that's like, it's like linguistics. Tea culture is descriptive, not prescriptive. People do it the way they do it, and everyone does it a little bit differently, and that's great. That's the beauty of expression found in tea culture is the ability for people to make it their own. And so I'd say at the core of my teaching philosophy is this is not a ceremony. Communion is a ceremony. Chanoyu, Japanese tea ceremony, is a ceremony. Those are ceremonies. We do things in a ceremony for their symbolic purpose. Gong Fu Cha is a practical art. It's about doing something well uh, with skill and enjoying it, enjoying the fruits of your efforts, which is the tea itself, and being able to share that with other people. So... Um, definitely a strong and like how do you strongly emphasize against something just by emphasizing those things which are the opposite of it so rather than you know I don't want to come across as this is this elitist thing I don't want people to think that this is a difficult inaccessible rarefied art form that is not for common people to practice but you have to be some kind of you know people come in and they tiptoe around it they're worried they're going to offend me uh, by doing something wrong, by stepping on some kind of, of protocol. Um, and and so trying to deflate that anxiety right off the bat and say, you're not going to embarrass yourself by doing anything wrong. You're not supposed to know everything about tea already. That's why you're taking the class. I don't know everything about tea. Nobody knows everything about tea. Hence, this is when I'm like, there is no tea pope. No one can tell you that you're doing this wrong. If you enjoy it and the tea comes out good, then you're doing it right. And is that subjective? Yes, of course it's subjective. This whole thing is ultimately subjective. Um, so I think that's at the, the heart of my teaching philosophy anyways. And teaching that this is, uh, I think another thing is, you know, using the term gong fu cha. And then again, the alternate term is chai, tea art which they use that a lot in Taiwan, and some people prefer that on, on the mainland. Now they're saying that if it's not strict orthodox chao zhou gong fu cha, then it's chai, which is cool, that's fine, it can be both. I really don't care. 
It's a, that's a total, that's the definition of a word. <laughs> it's absolutely the definition of the word semantic. So I really, really don't care um, what it's called or what people want to call it. I say Gong Fu Cha because I like it and it's totally applicable. Gong Fu being skill acquired through mindful practice. And I tell people, I'm not teaching you Gong Fu Cha. You have to practice Gong Fu Cha. You have to cultivate Gong Fu. I'm teaching you the theories, the principles, and the techniques, and the history, and the philosophy, you know, or at least my philosophy behind it, and what I've observed. And so, uh, and again, there's as many ways to do it as there are people. There are as many perspectives about tea and tea culture as there are people with an interest in tea, especially in China. And so I'm very clear what you're getting is my, the light that I have shined on this particular subject in my limited experience as a human being. This is what I know. I do go to China. I do speak Chinese. And I've had tea with lots of Chinese tea farmers, Chinese tea masters, and Chinese tea culture aficionados, um, as well as people in the government who are the head boards of tea culture in Xichuang Bana. You know, a friend of mine is, is that. He does that. Actually, it's funny. Xichuang Bana is a sister city of Austin. I'll get into that at another huh. time. But yeah, fascinating. There's more, on, more about that for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if tea is if tea is just pouring hot water on leaves, right? If it's just pouring liquids into cups and serving it, and no matter how many elaborate steps are in it, I don't think we would be. I don't think I would be one of four tea podcasts, right? That there wouldn't be books and books and books and thousands of years of culture and interest in tea, because oftentimes beneath the surface of the literal pouring, this this those physical acts is the psychological impact of practice and. You use the word practice quite a bit uh, in your videos. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the uh, when when you are sitting down to do something and you sit down to eat and you, your mother tells you to wash your hands, right? And you're washing your hands because you got to do it before you eat dinner, and you got to set you got to set you got to set the plate. And when you're done, you got to put everything away, right? And it just reminds me a little bit, especially watching your videos. Like this is like this is my mom's approach to tea. If she drank tea, which is clean your things, get your things out when only when you need them, put them away, make them look nice, right? I take, take a lot of, put a lot of personal effort, psychological effort. And that's probably where the depth comes in. That's where you can get into the, you know, not even overt symbolism, just the, the, the cultivation of, like I said, the word practice. So how, how do you sort of explain the practice of tea to your students? In, the, in that respect. So we, I, I do a second, I do a different class for that. There's two classes that I teach at the TS right now. One is the intro class, which is just the, the mechanics and history and, and, you know, most of the stuff you need to know to physically do the thing. And then, um, and then the other is the internal class, which focuses a lot more on these kind of deeper interpretations of tea culture. And my philosophy on that, I've been very uh, withholding almost through my early career in um, tea with that spiritual dimension of tea culture or that deeply philosophical dimension of tea culture because um, I, I think that it's important to let people come to their own conclusions. Uh, I think it's important not to, to coach people too much or to... to top down people's experience too much what happened is that people would come to me and be sharing their experiences with me and say a what is this thing i'm feeling when i drink tea which necessitates a conversation about the chi of tea the cha chi cha tsui tea drunk and that whole um thing and then furthermore like what influences that where does the chi and the tea come from well one of the places it comes from is from the person serving the tea you know there's the earth there's the people who grow it uh, there's a person who processes it, and then there's a person who, who serves it, and there's the, the, the genetics of the plant, and those are the sources of the, the, the combination of, of sensations that we describe, that subjective uh, altered state that we describe as being tea drunk and the chi of an individual tea. And so that necessitates a conversation about, well, when you, how do you breathe when you're serving tea? How do you use your posture? How do you sit? And... You know, for me, kind of the big lessons of tea, one of the big lessons is the taking pleasure in service, uh, for sure. Like I said, to see the joy that people get from, they have been served tea, and now they are 
excited and happy to be able to serve tea to others and having that um, just realizing that there are very few environments where we get so excited about being able to serve other people. Um, so that's cool. Um, and then the, another huge aspect is taking pleasure in simple, austere things. Tea can get expensive, of course, but it does, you know, an individual serving of tea that you can enjoy for a long time, you know, an hour or something with your friends and entertain yourselves and spend quality time together having a conversation is is very cheap if you were to actually price it out and divide it between the amount of people there, which is a, you know, really um, materialistic way of looking at things. But that's the, the metric that we run on in society in general is like, what is the value of this thing really? When we break it down into the, the monetary value of the thing, there are, when, when if you look at it that way, then tea is very austere. I mean, it's like burning wood, you gotta buy firewood, but sitting by a fire is this like austere luxury. And so, one of those big lessons is being able to take pleasure and deep satisfaction, not by consuming more or or upgrading your consumption necessarily, but by paying more attention to that which you consume and having a deeper deepening your appreciation of that thing. Um, and then, like you said, also just the, the, the rigor of, of caring for your tools, caring for your teaware, taking pride in what you're doing, taking the time to clear the space. You know, you, you want to make tea, so you clear a space on the table. You don't make tea amid clutter. You get your tea set down and you make time in your day. You don't make tea in a rush when you're halfway out the door. Because uh, you, you don't make tea when you're in a rush going out the door because you, there's no point. If you're going to rush it, you might as well just put some tea in a, in a little personal thermos and walk out the door with it. But um, but if you're going to sit and pour tea, if you're going to do gong fu cha or chai or whatever you want to call it, then you make the time, you make the space, and you make the psychological space. You know, uh, if you're if you're on you know you're on your phone while you're doing it, you're you're focusing on what you're doing, or else don't bother. If you're not going to focus on pouring it, then it won't come out good. If you're not going to focus on enjoying it, then there's no purpose to putting the effort in. So uh, I think that those are, for me, some of the, the big lessons of tea and tea culture definitely center on, on these very natural and organic uh, conclusions that one will come to interacting with tea and tea culture for a prolonged period of time. And so getting a little bit more into that recently and kind of not being as afraid of placeboing people into an experience and kind of acknowledging that people are having these experiences and these uh, can making these connections on their own and kind of uh, providing a context and a framework for that. Hmm. What's the, what is Guanyin Tea House's policy or maybe just the, cult, the, the culture of the tea house? What's the attitude towards phone use in the, in, in the Chaguan? We don't have, we don't have a written policy. Um, we honestly, if someone wants to sit there and be on their phone, they can do it. Um, I'm not going to tell someone to get off their phone. Um, people try. I, I find that people are not generally on their phones when they're here. They're sitting, they're drinking tea, they're having conversations. Um, people don't talk on their phones in the tea house. I oh, hardly ever. People hardly ever. The tea house is big enough that you can go somewhere by yourself if you need to have a phone conversation. But mm-hmm. I, I seldom see people talking on their phone in the tea house. Um, people will look things up. We have a strong emphasis, or I have a strong emphasis on evidence. So, uh, uh, you know, conjecture is tolerated for only so long because we live mm-hmm. in the 21st century. So every now and again, someone will specifically get their phone out to look something up so that we can uh, ground truth something. That said, we, we, we're, we're planning on having more events, more tea sits. We, we call them tea sits. You know, uh, it's not exactly a tea tasting. That implies that we're writing down tasting notes and really focusing on the taste. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we use the term tea sit because you sit and you drink tea. So we have, we're going to have more events that will be digital free. No, it, we will specifically exclude phone usage. That said, we don't have a stated policy on it right now, and I don't feel like we have a strong need for one because I don't think that's something that gets abused too much here. That's a good place to be, where you don't need the, you don't have the need to put up a sign that says this is a phone, phone reduced, phone free zone, or whatever. And, and yeah, there could be times when you're having a bigger, more public event that you may have to do something about that. But it sounds like you're in a good place then, as a, as a culture, as the, as the culture of the tea house, right? 
you know, among the people that frequent there. And you have a lot of events. I uh, I was very surprised. Do you, I mean, I'm glad to see it. it. There's a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of community outreach. It seems like you have something, a named something or other is happening every single night uh, at your, at your tea house. Uh, some of them have very interesting names. You know, I've seen other people do tea and yoga, tea and pillow forts, tea and social issues or polyamory and tea. I, I really, I, when I saw that someone was running tea track, I'm like, okay, next time I watch star Trek, I'm going to pull, I'm going to make sure I Yo, pull out my, my tools. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they drink a lot of tea on star Trek. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's nuts. It's this is not all me. This is all the community. This is like we're a community tea house. That's the deal. Like any yeah. weird idea that someone wants to do, if it can be made to happen, we will pull it together and make it happen. And um, yeah, we had brutality. That's our our, our metal tea set. And uh, and uh, yeah, the pillow fort was great. We had like how many people at the pillow fort? Twelve. We had twelve. Twelve plus plus uh, plus you. Plus me plus Daniel. So we had, we had 14 full-grown adults drinking tea in a pillow fort the other day. There was no adults there. Okay, full-grown humans, no adults. But uh, yeah, that that was I actually I, I wish I I wasn't actually there for that. I was at the, I was simultaneously teaching a tea class at a at friend's a friend's space during that. But I got to see the pillow fort right at the end. It was pretty magnificent. Um, yeah, yeah, we we do stuff every day. That is true. We do stuff every day, and um, we try to have it be more than just. Uh, have some random teas with some random person. We try to, you know, have people know who we are. But yeah, and every Sunday we have community still, which is free still. We did that last night, or no? Yeah, yeah, last night, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. I did it. I done did that. Um, and yeah, so we do, we have a pretty big community. We have something like 20, 20 plus people in the city of Austin who are who are capable of. Uh, serving tea at the tea house, like they they're trained to the point where we know they're they're competent and capable to serve tea to a group of guests at the tea house, um, and so they kind of work like uh, you know freelance tea servers, and they make money doing it. Sometimes they'll walk away with uh, fifty or seventy-five dollars, sometimes a hundred dollars for pouring tea to people. Um, so that's that's cool. It's like our, you know that's our dream was. I've noticed if you serving tea, if, the only thing that limits how many people will sit down and drink tea with you is, is space. Uh, if you have a big enough space with enough people pouring tea, then you will fill it with people sitting and drinking tea. The other day at our um, um, the, our Halloween party, there were three people simultaneously serving tea at three different tables, each serving like 15 to 20 people each. You know, two two. Uh, tiers of people around the table each table and there wasn't room people were that's amazing not able to 20 tea. people per, per you know per, per yeah between like 15 and 20 and they were wow. it's, it's we got a big space we have a really big space um and uh yeah there was just like a sea of people it was to the point where there was just like this huge mass in the middle of people and i don't think some of the people in the middle were even drinking tea but they were sitting there because they were just like in the in the middle like a bunch of penguins you know what i mean and uh, they they might have been getting past cups, uh, but it's it was crazy. And you know we had we had a DJ and we had dancing, so it's not like they were standing around waiting for tea. They were doing other stuff. But but that's uh, as far as I can tell, you get people together and serve tea, and as many people as are there will drink tea as long as there's spots for them to sit. I have to know, um, were you there at brutality? I was not there. For, I was working in the front for Brutality, and I was actually serving front of house, so I got to hear it whenever the door would open. Uh, I did get to, and it's so funny, the people who came for Brutality were not there specifically for the event. I mean, some of them were, but at least three or four people came in, just Google Maps off the street style, and I was like, yeah, $10, you can go and listen to metal and drink tea for three hours. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. And they were there the whole time. Well, yeah. Well, tell me about your, your, your team, right? So you have a team of, it looks like, uh, uh, you said 20? The core team, there's, there's, there's the core team and then there's an extended team. And the core team, there's, there's four, four members of the core team um, plus another five or six who are qualified to manage the front of house. Who, they, can, they can run the store by themselves. Plus the r- remaining 10 
12, 13, 14 who, who are qualified to serve tea at the tea house, to host a tea sit as uh, an outside serve or go host at outside events. Um, and then we have, you know, people who clean the tea house, uh, uh, conscious cleaning company. They, they uh, we have a, a contract with them, but really it's like they're our friends and they use all uh, uh, natural materials for cleaning. And so they clean the tea house for us. And so they don't really work here per se. They, they get tea for cleaning the tea house and they come here with their baby all the time. So it's a community, it's very community oriented. And you know, some of our tea servers, they, they come and they bring their own herbal teas. They, they serve herbal teas, Daniel and Josh right now, neither of them are really drinking a lot of caffeine. So they'll, oh, Daniel's drinking caffeine, but they like both like to serve herbs and everyone's got their own style. Um, Genevieve belly dances. He's shutting up, and if he. Um... Okay. Yeah, he's he's about to serve tea right now. Um, oh no! No need to get somebody to to stop what they're doing. I was just kind of. I I, I have been a metalhead my whole life, so like that peak, that little, little light bulb went up, little exclamation mark. I was like, whoa, hey. <laughs> I wish I had the playlist in front of me, but he has a deep and abiding love of metal, so I'm sure that. Uh, I'll get him to post the playlist on the the page. He's going to do it again. It was a really fun. It was a really fun event. I got to poke my head in a couple of times. It seemed really fun. I would be um, very interested to see what that playlist is like. I'd be. I would. I would totally love if I could. Uh, I could see that person. Okay. But. Yeah. I'll I'll, uh, I'll try to get that to you. And um, it was it was great. You know. And so they would they would play a song and they'd stop and, and turn it down and talk about it for a while. So it was. Kind of like, uh, yeah. Very See, intensive. that's the level of nerding out about things, you know, to pardon, I guess, like, imprecise language, nerding out, right? But that's, you know, it, that, that in a sentence is kind of what you, we were talking about earlier with the psychological impact of practice and finding joy and then appreciating something that's, you know, regardless of how much it costs, it can be cheap or expensive, but you're, you're, paying attention and appreciating more you're getting more out of something it's about quality and not quantity right and so that's what people that are very into something if people that are into bread people that are into metal people that are into tea stamp collecting taking that all the way back to an hour ago right if you're into something and you love that thing and it makes you happy and you love learning and you like sharing which i think most human beings like enjoying themselves like learning new things and they like other people because everybody is a, you know, has some degree of sociability about them, you know, personality types notwithstanding. And those are, I think, the core recipes for a great tea culture. And it sounds like you have all those things at, at uh, in Austin really lined up. And I'm very, I'm very excited to hear that tea culture is doing so well, oh, so well out there. And where are you again? I live in San Diego. I'm from Indianapolis. Uh, I live in San Diego right now. And there's kind of a, interesting, there's a little bit of a parallel when you're describing your earlier life in tea, it, it is a little bit, it's a little, a lot of comparisons to uh, how the last couple of years of my life has been going. Actually, I pour tea outside for people on Wednesdays near the farmer's market. Nice. I uh, had, there's a very small hundred square foot tea shop that I now like am friends with the owner and pour there on Thursdays and hang out. Square feet. And we're trying to, trying to make that a bigger deal and to just grow and try to, and I, I was just giving, the other, the other night, I was just giving uh, my friend what I think the main values of the of, of tea culture should be, which are you know inter, you know having an interconnected community, and you can't just sell tea; you have to. We were talking about finding potters and stuff like that. I was like, oh, we yeah. should be we should be finding undergraduate ceramic students and giving oh, them yeah. a shot oh. because then they will grow up and become the new. They will and Western tea culture, whatever that means, can be independent and, and mature and not just be an import business, right? Right. Absolutely. And we, that's another thing is the material culture that grows up around it. Yeah, you, you, exactly what you just described. It's not about just tea. It's about what tea does with respect to culture and community. It, it's a culture. It grows. It expands. It brings people together. That's the fundamental thing that tea does is it brings people together. People gather around tea everywhere, not just China, not just America, Morocco, Turkey, freaking, uh, you know. Uh, Russia. They love Russia. Russia yeah, loves tea. England. Scotland, Ireland, anywhere that people drink tea, people gather together to drink tea. They gather around it, and that's part of the nature of tea, and, and so that kind of community building. And then, you know, shout out to our Austin potters. We've got Kimmy Rohr from Whiskey and Quay, Mary Cotterman, who's been living in China for almost three years now, studying Chinese teaware pottery. 
uh, like a consummate potter. She had a museum showing recently, um, and I've known her since she just 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 first started making teaware. And uh, and then Ian McDowell, Chris Long, both of them have been making fantastic gaiwans and cups and everything. Um, who made the gaiwan in your video? You have a very interesting looking gaiwan in your in your. There's a couple. There's a blue one and the the, the, the green one that... is the one I'm thinking of right now. There's... Blue? Is it blue? The green one, the one from the fourth, the one that came out two days ago, the newest video. Oh gosh, which which, which I forget which one just came out. It was, it was uh, tall and green. It was about putting it was about putting your your set your tea set away, putting it to sleep. Tall and green. Was it that jade glass one? Is it kind of translucent? No, it was kind of ceramic looking. Maybe it was blue. Maybe I'm just remembering the color wrong. It was cool looking. It's really tall, like really, really it's tall. Very, very tall. Very that's tall. a that's that's a first generation Chris Long guy one. Funny story mm. about that guy one. Uh, Moncho, uh, my my protege, my right hand man, broke that guy on because that's what happens when you let other people touch your tea wear, or mm-hmm. not even let them touch it, but if just have it around other people, uh, and replaced it with a um, a swirly modeled clay guy on, also made by Chris Long, um, which you'll see in one of the later videos. And then Mary Cotterman, that wonderful potter that I was just describing, came and broke that for me this past summer. So, she, <laughs> but she made me another gaiwan, which is great. And she also had it lacquer repaired in China at the Sanbao Ceramic Studio. So it was, it was made right. But uh, yeah, no luck with the Chris Long gaiwans. But uh, yeah, Chris Long made that. He's fantastic. He makes amazing gaiwans. He's gotten really good at it too. He's he's uh, he's, he's got his gaiwan game on fleek, and he makes huge ones. I mean, he would make them for us. We've, we've, I've specific because I serve tea to a lot of people at a time, and I need a giant guy on sometimes. Um, but yeah, Chris Long, and then we, we've we've got uh, um, Andy Hosage and Hoab making uh, tea knives. We had Clyde. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Tristan made tea knives. Clyde made tongs. I just got to see Clyde the other day. We have people making all. We've got a. a um, Ash Williamson blowing glass, uh, friendly fire blowing glass. We've got um, Russell Stokely. He's famous for making pipes, but he's blowing glass, uh, cups, and working on Gongdao Bay, stuff like that. So we have really a whole little army of artisans here that have been making tea stuff uh, around tea culture. Emily's been making necklaces. She made me a tea knife for my birthday. And, um, yeah, it's been really amazing and wonderful just the the side arts the arts that have grown up in the proximity to the culture see actually you're just you're cultivating you call it not just the royal you you know it's it's not yeah. all not all you individually right it's it's everybody Absolutely. meeting each other meeting each other's needs so well thank you so much for uh for, for coming on the show i have one little last question uh that i want to ask you um if you had to if you were if you were if you were the world's english teacher and you could assign like two or three books. What would you What would you pick? All right, I got some for you. Um, uh, the Tao Te Ching. Okay. Okay. Um, Any translation preferences? There's eighteen hundred of them. You're right. There's a billion of them. Um, no, I don't have I don't have a specific author that I like for that translator. Like that. Um, I like I do like Thomas Merton's Zhuangzi. A huge fan of Thomas Merton's translation of the Zhuangzi. Um, so. After the Lao Tzu, there's the Zhuangzi. So uh, I actually prefer Zhuangzi, but the Tao Te Ching is more fundamental for sure. Uh, yeah, the Tao Te Ching. Um, I mean, there's 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 the Bhagavad Gita. That one uh, I have not read. Oh yes, that is a great. That, that's I mean, it, when it comes down to like, if I'm giving advice to to, to a, a person I don't know at all, like what is a book that will make your life better? Then I'm mostly going to gravitate towards sacred texts because they have the most universal appeal. I don't know what people are going to like or be offended by or be triggered by or, or whatever. So it's like, oh, this Thomas Pynchon book's really good, but you might not like it. <laughs> um, but um, as far as universal appeal, the Bhagavad Gita, the sacred text of uh, uh, Hindu text detailing the the conversation between Lord Krishna and Arjuna before the Mahabharata, uh, that is one of the most important texts to me in my life. And, uh, you know, you can, the thing with, with that is that you just get it, get a good copy. Um, Prabhupada's copy, Prabhupada's good, but uh, Siva Swami is the translation that I like. Uh, I forget his first name or whatever, but it's uh, Siva Swami. 
uh, is the translator that I like for the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, wait, is it Sivananda? No, Sivaswami. Um, it's thin. It's a thin little book. It's not a huge book, but you can only read one chapter at a time because it's so dense and requires so much like meditation to digest. Definitely one that's annotated, but not extensively, too extensively. And then, um, and then the Egyptian Book of the Dead, uh, the trend, one particular translation of this called Awakening Osiris by a woman named Normandy Ellis, N-O-R-M-A-N-D-I, E-L-L-I-S is my favorite book right now and for the past couple of years uh, again this is a sacred text um, a compilation of Egyptian tomb writings that are intended as incantations for guiding the soul of the deceased through the afterlife to be reborn and that is my favorite book and has been for the past like three or four years awesome awesome suggestions great conversation Shohan fan the guy behind West China Tea Company, one of the many important human beings involved in making the Guanyin Tea House in Austin, Texas. So if you're in Austin, I've, I have never been to Austin, but Texas, never been to Austin. I will absolutely be visiting uh, Guanyin Tea House. It sounds like there's always something great to do, and it is, you know, you're, if you put in if you put an effort in tea in the tea community, tea people will will give you back a hundredfold. So I would recommend any listeners uh, check out Guanyin Tea House and check out. Uh, any, any, you know, or, or check out the tea community in your area as well. And if there's nothing going on, then pour for your friends and see where it goes. Right? There you go. 